I'm going to invite you this morning to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 22 to 25 in just a moment together. But we're going to the Sea of Galilee together today. The Sea of Tiberias, Scripture calls it in another place. If you were to go to uh, Israel today and, 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 and have the, the privilege of speaking to some folks there in English, they would call this Lake Kinneret. It's an amazing and beautiful but very unique body of water. Here is a picture I took one morning. Ah, uh, no, actually that's not the picture. Back up one, Doug. We got a sunrise picture in there? We don't have a sunrise picture in there. Okay, somehow I, I goofed that uh, PowerPoint up. Uh, this is a picture I took from a boat on the Sea of Galilee back in November of 2017. The Sea of Galilee is roughly 13 miles long, north to south, about 8 miles wide, east to west. This lake is 682 feet below sea level. It's the lowest freshwater lake on the planet, and it's the second lowest lake of any sort in the world, second only to the Dead Sea, which is found not too far to the south uh, there in Israel. This lake, the lake, the Sea of Galilee, Lake Kinneret as it's called today, is surrounded on three sides by mountains. And so imagine, just imagine, I should have put a map up there, but imagine a, a, a lake that's north to south longer than it is wide, and then imagine to the west of the, the Sea of Galilee, uh, that, those were the hills of Galilee, and, and again, the surface of the lake, 682 feet below sea level, the hills of Galilee would rise to 1,500 feet above sea level. That's about the height of most of the smaller hills around here. Some go uh, over 2,000 up to, um, you know, uh, around 3,000 in this area. Then to the east of the Sea of Galilee are the Golan Heights. There the, 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 the plateau rises to 3,000 feet above sea level. And then to the north, the biggest mountains around the Sea of Galilee, the mountains of southern Lebanon, almost 10,000 feet above sea level. 10,000 feet to 682 feet below sea level. And so, if you're meteorologically inclined at all, then you're beginning to figure out how crazy the weather that could develop in this spot could actually be. In short, what happens, in fact, is cool winds from either the east, the Golan Heights, or the north, the southern mountains of Lebanon, even if you'll remember from the Psalms, one of those mountains, one of the most famous ones, about 9,500 feet high, is Mount Hermon. You'll hear that in the Psalms. What happens, in short, is these cool winds from either the, primarily the, the east or the north descend from the mountains, and as they, as they lose altitude and, and begin to speed down the mountains, they pick up speed, and they funnel through various canyons and ravines in the mountains, which only helps to accelerate them more. And so when they finally get down below sea level to the surface of the Sea of Galilee, Lake Kinneret, they hit the warm air there, and boom! 
almost instantaneously, a windstorm spins up right there on the surface of the lake. And this makes the Sea of Galilee one of the most dangerous bodies of water in the world as well. Here's a short video that kind of shows you something. You saw how still and quiet it was when I was there that time uh, a couple years, a few years ago. Here's a short video. Doug's just going to play about 25 seconds of it here to show you something of the contrast from the peacefulness of the lake to the intense storms uh, that can brew up on the lake. And by the way, this is a mild storm uh, that you'll see. white caps, a lot of stirring of the water going on, things blowing around. And so that peaceful lake called the Sea of Galilee, Galilee in the scriptures, Lake Kenrit today, on a dime, and we're talking literally in just a couple minutes, less than five minutes, this whole thing can turn because of this unique geographical setup. You know, our lives are a whole lot like the Sea of Galilee sometimes, aren't they? I mean, let's just talk about it. Have you ever had a storm just pop up out of absolutely nowhere in your life? You're, you're, you're living life, you're going along, everything's sunny and bright, the winds aren't blowing, not a cloud in the sky, life is great. When all of a sudden, boom, out of nowhere there's a downpour in your life. Winds are raging all around. We're thrown around... Uh, by life itself, and it feels like we're going to drown. Have you been there? The truth is we've all been there, and I want to talk to us this morning uh, from our text about how to find peace in the storm. The truth I want you to take home with you today is this, to find peace in the storms of life. We're not talking about weather, though this was a real story we're going to look at about a real storm that Jesus physically calmed to find peace in the storms of life, the circumstances of life, the tragedies of life, the testings of life, we must fix the eyes of our hearts on Jesus. How do you find peace in the storm? We must fix the eyes of our hearts on Jesus. Luke chapter 8, verse 22. Luke says, one day he, that is Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So Jesus gets in a boat. They're going to pass over to the other side. Another place uh, in, in, in Mark's gospel, it tells us this was in the evening. Here's a picture of the remains of a boat that you can go to Israel and see today. There on the shores of the Sea of Galilee is a museum uh, built around this boat. <clears throat> this boat is about 2,000 years old. It was found in 1986 in our lifetime. <clears throat> my lifetime, um, buried beneath the mud uh, on, near the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it's very likely that uh, this would be about the size, this boat was roughly 12 feet long or so, uh, that, that Jesus and the disciples would have been in. They built a model uh, based off of kind of what remains they have here. And it's likely that the boat Jesus and the disciples uh, sailed in that day was something like this. So you see, it's, it's, not, it's not a John boat. It's not a canoe, but it's not a big boat either. 
Uh, not a, especially not when a big storm brews up. Verse 22 goes on, So they set out, and as they sailed, he, Jesus, fell asleep. And so in the back of that boat, there would have been a little place for him to lay down. And it says in another text that he was laying on a cushion there. Uh, he was just, he, he had his pillow out. He was uh, curled up, taking a nice nap. And a windstorm came down on the lake, as we talked about. Came down from the mountains onto the lake. And they were filling with water and were in danger. The boat was beginning to sink. Literally, it was taking on water. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. We're dying, Jesus. Over in Mark's account, verse 4 of Mark 4, uh, excuse me, verse 38 of Mark chapter 4, Mark 4 verse 38, it says there, they woke him and said to him, listen, includes a little different, something a little different here, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Luke says, Jesus said, we're perishing, we're going to die, Jesus. Mark tells us that he actually said, they actually said more than that. They said, Jesus, don't you even care that we're in a storm that's going to kill us? I wonder how many times you and I have thought in the middle of a storm in life, God, do you even care that I'm here? What an awful question to ask the one who died for us, and yet this is the honesty of our hearts Sadly, too many times. Our text goes on, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and, he, and they ceased. And there was a calm. One of the other gospels, it, we're told that he said these words, Peace, be still. He spoke not to the men who had wo awoken him, but to the storm, and he said, Peace, be still. Stop. And there was a calm. Then he spoke to the men. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and waters? And they obey him. Jesus wakes up from his nap, hears the cry, the desperation of his disciples, and he says, peace be still in the, in, in the storm. Is ended. Now understand, these guys lived on the water. They knew when there was a real threat. So, so make no mistake, uh, the video I showed you earlier was nothing compared to what they must have been experiencing. That was just a windy day on the Sea of Galilee in recent years. But that night, as they were sailing across, they feared for their lives. And these men lived on this lake. And yet, Jesus says, where's your faith? Don't you know who I am? Why are you so worked up about this storm over which I rule? I want you to see this morning how to have peace in the storm. I want you to see that to find peace in the storms of life, we must fix our eyes the eyes of our heart, on Jesus. There are at least four specific ways that we need to fix our eyes on, 
uh, the eyes of our heart on Jesus so that we can find peace in the storms of life. First of all, notice with me, we must, in the middle of the storm, remember who Jesus is. Now, these men had been hanging out with Jesus for quite a while now. They'd seen him do a lot of stuff. If we just glance through the book of uh, Luke, through Luke's gospel, uh, go back and, and, and bring it up to, to where we are here in chapter 8, what we find is they had watched Jesus cast out a demon from a man in the synagogue. Uh, they'd seen him cleanse a leper. They'd watched him heal a paralytic. The lame man walked when Jesus was through talking to him. They'd seen him heal a man with a withered hand. The, the text of Luke, Luke's gospel tells us that he'd healed and cast out many demons from many more people in Galilee. In fact, they had watched Jesus interrupt and end a funeral by raising that widow's son there in the, in the town of Nain from the dead. And as amazing as that was, perhaps most shocking, they'd been there when Jesus in Simon's house forgave the sins of the town prostitute. He had stood in the place that only God himself can stand and forgiven her of her sins. But how quickly and easily do we forget who Jesus is? How quickly and easily do we forget who Jesus is in the middle of a sudden storm as our hearts are flooded with fear? You see, we must remember who Jesus is. And very simply put, Jesus is God. So how? How can we more consistently remember and even be prepared for a sudden storm? Remember who Jesus is in the storm and even be ready when a storm comes. Well, we talk about this an awful lot. The best way I know to tell you to prepare for the storm, the best way I know to tell you to, to, to re help yourself remember who Jesus is when the wind is blowing in your life is to stay in the Word and in prayer to your Father daily. Don't miss it. It's not legalistic. It's not just doing something to check it off and say you did it. And if you, if you, if you, if you read your Bible every day, uh, <clears throat> God will like you more. No, it's nothing like that. It's very simply the fact you need to hear the voice of your Father speaking to you, encouraging your heart. You need to hear Jesus speak to you through his word and by his spirit, reminding you of who he is because in the middle of the storm, the only way to have peace, one of the ways to have peace is to remember who Jesus is. To find peace in the storms of life, we must fix the eyes of our hearts on Jesus. We must remember who Jesus is. But secondly, we must remember what Jesus has done for us. You must remember what Jesus has done for you. We've already talked about it this morning. Jesus lived and died and rose again in my place for my salvation. This is what Jesus has done for me. Romans 5 verse 8 says that God demonstrates, shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What has Jesus done for you? He came to die for you. While we were still sinners, 
when we were running in the other direction, when we were not looking for a Savior, God, 2,000 years ago, sent His Son into this world there in, in Israel to live a perfect life and completely fulfill the law of God in my place. And then to go to the cross and be the propitiation, the full satisfaction of, 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 the, of the holy wrath of Almighty God toward my sin by His death. On the cross. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead in victory over sin so that you and I, though we die, we don't have to die ever. We can live forever because Jesus is the resurrection. We must remember what Jesus has done for us. Romans 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Since we have been justified by faith, this is what Jesus has done for us, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has given us peace with God. We've been justified by faith, declared righteous before holy God by trusting Jesus who is our righteousness. Verse 2 says, through him we have obtained, uh, also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Through Jesus we stand on a, on a solid rock called the grace of God. We can't be moved from this place. God's only thoughts to us every day and forever since we have been in Christ are gracious thoughts, loving thoughts. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Every day we live with the certain hope of seeing Jesus face to face one day. What has Jesus done for you, do you remember? He's justified you. He's given you peace with God. He's put you on the rock of his own grace. And he's given you hope in which you can rejoice of one day seeing him. Romans 8 verses 29 and 30 tell us what he's done for us. This gives us the picture of God's work of salvation in our lives from eternity past to eternity future. This is the, the sum total of all that God has done given in two sentences right here. For those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be, Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What has Jesus done for you? Do you remember? Jesus, before time began, God has set his affection on everyone who will ever believe in Jesus. He set his affection on us. He predestined us. And then in our lifetime, he called us, even as we heard the gospel and, and, and the call of God in the gospel. We heard that message, and God called us to himself. He gave us the gift of repentance and faith, and, and we were able to turn away from our sins and turn to Jesus and embrace him as our Savior. And when we did that, God justified us, the Bible says. He declared us righteous who were unrighteous. And then this text says... Whom he justified, he also glorified. Well, here's the problem. <clears throat> Not many people I can look at here today, just Doug and Hannah. But uh, Doug, we'll just keep it between us guys. I mean, we, we're pretty clear. We are not yet glorified. When we look at each other, we can see it. It's clear. So what does this mean? What Paul's saying is this. Just as certain as all the rest of the work of God in Christ for us is, so certain is the fact that we will one day be in his presence forever glorified. Do you remember what Jesus has done for you? 
you see, every day you need to preach the gospel to yourself every day, especially when storms arise. How do you have peace in the middle of a storm? You fix your, the eyes of your heart on Jesus. How do you do that? You remember who he is. But secondly, as we've been looking, you remember what he's done for you. You preach the gospel to yourself again. No one needs the gospel any more than a child of God. I need the gospel today as much as I ever have needed the gospel. I need to be reminded of what Jesus has done for me. Remember what Jesus has done for you. To find peace in the storms of life, we must fix our, the eyes of our heart on Jesus. But thirdly, notice with me, we must remember where Jesus is in your storm. We need to remember who he is. He's God. He is the Messiah of God, sent to save the world. He is, secondly, we need to remember what he's done for us. That is, he has provided salvation from beginning to end, a certain hope for our souls for eternity, and life abundant in fellowship with God the Father today. But thirdly, we need to remember where Jesus is in our storm. This one gets real practical. Where was Jesus in the storm that the disciples were experiencing? Jesus was in the boat. Where is Jesus in your storm? Hear me. He's in your boat. He's in the boat with you. Scripture tells us Jesus lives in us, even by the Spirit of the living God. Jesus dwells in us. He, he, he lives in our hearts, as we tell our children. Romans chapter 8, verses 10 and 11 affirm this reality. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life. Because of righteousness. So if we know Jesus today, here on planet Earth, still in time and history, then there's a couple things that are true. Our bodies are dead because of sin. We've, we've got this dying body because of the fall and because of our own sin. But as believers, unlike those who don't know Jesus in this world, our spirit is life. And we have the righteousness of Christ dwelling in us, even by the Spirit of God. Verse 11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And so the question is, if you know Jesus today, that's the question, do you know Jesus today? If you know Jesus today, the Spirit who is life lives in you, and Paul says <clears throat> that spirit is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, if you have the same spirit dwelling in you that raised Jesus from the dead, don't you think he can do something in your life? Don't you think he can, he can, he can help you overcome sin, that he can deliver you from fear, that he can give you peace and remind you of the presence of Jesus in your life in the middle of the storm? You see, we've got to remember where Jesus is in our storm, and he is right here with us. He's in our boat. Thankfully, the disciples were smart enough in that moment after they completely freaked out and were fearing for their lives, they, they were smart enough to go wake up Jesus. 
I'm not so convinced based on Jesus' question about their faith that they really thought he could do anything, but they just thought he ought to at least be joining their misery, right? Don't you care, Lord, that we're perishing? Jesus just wants you to know, didn't want you to die in your sleep. We're going to die in this storm. But at least they went to him. You know, sometimes you and I never get around to going to Jesus. You know what? We don't have to wake him up. He's wide awake. He's as close as the mention of his name. But, but sometimes you and I never get around to, to prayer. Sometimes prayer is the absolute last resort in our lives. We try to bail the water out of the boat. We try to row harder. We try to beat down the waves and make them quit rocking the boat. We do all this stupid stuff that does nothing to calm the storm because we are impotent against the wind and the waves of the circumstances of our lives. And and then finally, when we're exhausted, we run and we, with frustration, sometimes even accuse God of not caring. Jesus, don't you care? We're dying. You know what Jesus would say to you and I? He'd say, look, I've I've been right here in the boat the whole time. And you've been running around acting the fool, acting like you can actually do something with this storm. And all you had to do was say, Jesus, and I would have helped you. You and I have the very power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ living in us by his spirit. Remember where Jesus is in your storm. He's not far away. He lives in you. He lives in you. What a precious gift is the gift of prayer. What a precious gift is the indwelling of the Spirit of Christ. We are not alone ever in the storms. You know, there's all kinds of storms in our lives today, isn't there? I've just, for several days now, had heavy on my heart the, the rays and the smiths and That storm of grief that they're going through right now. Our whole world is in a storm. This nation is in a storm. Things are crazy and in so many lives. One of our dear members has has dealt with COVID in a nursing home and is uh, still not doing good now today. Physical challenges, relational challenges financial challenges, whatever it may be, what, what, what's your storm? There's moments it seems just living in this summer of 2020 is a storm of its own. Pastor Caleb Kaltenbach says, focus on God who resides in you instead of the chaos and pain that surrounds you. You know, sometimes when the storms are raging, it's awful hard not to just fixate on the waves. To not be freaked out by how high your boat is bouncing up and down in those wakes. And yet the only way to have peace in the storms of life is to fix our, the heart, eyes of our heart on Jesus to remember where Jesus is in your storm, and he is right there with you. He'll always be right there with you. 
Are you in a storm today? You got online this morning to get this piece of encouragement at least. If you're not in a storm, based on the word of God, you're about to be. Aren't you glad you came this morning to get that word of encouragement? That you, if you're not in a storm, you're going to be. It's just true. How important it is to remember where Jesus is in your storm. To find peace in the storms of life, we must fix the eyes of our heart on Jesus. We must remember who Jesus is. We must remember what Jesus has done for us. We must remember where Jesus is in our storm. He is with us. Lastly, this morning, we must remember where Jesus is taking you. We've talked about what Jesus has done for us in the work of salvation, how he's declared us righteous with Almighty God, given us right standing before the bar of Holy God, how he will one day glorify us in his presence. But what about the meantime? We're on a journey with Jesus now, aren't we? Between our justification and our glorification. We call it sanctification. Remember where Jesus is taking you. Philippians 1 verse 6 tells us about this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus started a work in us even before time began as we saw. He predestined us. Then he called us through the the preaching of the gospel into our lives. And then as we responded to the gospel through the gift of faith and repentance that he gave to us also, then we were justified, declared right with Almighty God, righteous in his presence. And now day by day, he who started that work is going to carry it on all the way to the day of glorification, all the day of when we're made like him and and, and our sin is removed and we're made perfect. But in the meantime, the scriptures tell us he's going to make us a little by little more and more like himself. Remember the story of Jesus and the disciples. What did Jesus say to his disciples when they first got in the boat? He said, let us go to the other side. They were on one side of the lake. Jesus said, we're going to the other side of the lake. Guess what? In the middle of that storm, they didn't think they'd ever get to the other side. They thought they were going to die. But Jesus had told them before they ever left that they were going to the other side. And just like Jesus said, as we continue to read in this 8th chapter of Luke... We find them the next morning reaching the other side. And you know what happens when they get there? They meet a demon-possessed man half-naked, and Jesus just casts out a legion of demons. That's all. Where's Jesus taking you? Do you remember? He started a work in you that he will complete. Listen, here's the point. He didn't bring you to this storm to abandon you to the storm. He is going to take you to the other side. He's going to take you home. Romans 8, verse 28, and then skip down to verse 31. Paul says, we know that for those who love God, all things, even the storms, work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's true in a storm. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That doesn't mean everything we want. It means everything we need. Even in a storm. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised 
who is at the right hand of God, who, is, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Paul also means what? Can anything separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, that'd be a, a storm, would it not? Or distress, that sounds like a storm. Or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. Paul said, can any of these things separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 37, no. In all these things, in all these storms, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, Paul said, are you sure today? Do you have peace in your storm? Here's how. For I am sure that neither death nor life. Not even death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, Paul said, can separate you from Jesus' love. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. No storm. It doesn't matter what the storm is. It cannot separate you, Paul says, from the love of God. Now, you can think you're dying in the storm. You can be blinded to the truth that we see here in Romans 8. You can forget what Jesus has done for you and where Jesus is certainly and surely taking you. But in fact, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Remember where Jesus is taking you. Where is he taking you? He is taking you to be at home with him eternally. He is going to change you little by little into the likeness of Christ in this life, but he is going to get you home. Remember where Jesus is taking you, but also... Realize how Jesus plans to get us there. Don't miss this. Jesus is going to get us home, but hear me. Jesus' plan for our lives includes the storm. Back to the Sea of Galilee. If Jesus could wake up on that boat and say, peace be still to the waves and to that whole windstorm that was raging on the sea that night, and it go completely mirror quiet, just glass on the lake, then don't you think you might have had something to do with the storm in the first place? You see, Jesus not only can calm the storm, Jesus sends the storms into our lives to make us more like him. And so here's the deal. Remember where Jesus is taking you, but realize that Jesus plans to get you there through the storms. Not, in, not around the storms, not without storms, but through the storms. James 1, verses 2 to 4 says it, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the... What's God doing in those trials? That the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. He wants your faith to last. He wants it to be strong and, and steadfast. And let steadfastness, James says, have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Be glad when the trials come. 
When the wind starts blowing, James says, count it joy. Why? Because this storm will be an occasion for you to grow in your faith, for you to grow closer and, and, and more dependent on Jesus himself. Now, that's easier said than done, obviously. How many of us count pain joy? How many of us count trials joy just by nature? No, it's a command in Scripture because James knew we'd need to be told and, and, and commanded to work and get that done in our hearts. But it can be done. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 14, tell us that the way Jesus gets us home where he's taken us is through storms when he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. So instead of a, a storm, the picture here is a fiery trial. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. There's a version of the gospel today that is no gospel at all. It is not from the word of God. It's from the mind and, and, and greed and, and, and evilness of the heart of man that says when you trust Jesus, life just becomes a bed of roses from then on. It's called the prosperity gospel. It goes so far as to say, if you follow Jesus, he'll make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. And yet here, Peter, in the word of God, says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. God is testing you in the fire, in the storm, as though some strange thing were happening to you. I mean, that's pretty clear, isn't it? We're to expect storms. Trials are going to come. The heat's going to get turned up on our lives by our Father regularly to test and try and grow our faith in Him. Hear me today. Reject the lie of the prosperity gospel that rages across our land and even has penetrated evangelical circles and evangelical churches today. It just ain't so. But hear me, remember where Jesus is taking you and realize that his way to get you home is a life not of ease and pain-free, all is rosy and bright. No, it's a life with divinely appointed storms and trials to make you more like him. And hear me, it's the best possible life because God himself is the author of it. Remember where Jesus is taking you and how he's planned and purposed to get you there through storms. You see, to find peace in the storms of life, we must fix the eyes of our hearts on Jesus. Here's something to know. Jesus does not, like he did in this story, always calm the storms. Sometimes he lets them last a little longer. Perhaps he lets them last the rest of our earthly lives. Did you hear what I just said? Some storms that God brings his people into never end this side of heaven. Some storms are permanent in this life. But even if that's the case, even if your storm never ends, it's not a deal where Jesus sits up in the boat and says, peace be still and everything's back to good and sunny and bright. 
God can do that for you. He's done that for me. Some storms Jesus takes us through, they're brief. Some are a little longer because we're perhaps hard-headed or we don't learn as quickly or, or he just knows we need more time in, in the waves. But many storms in life, after a little while, whatever that looks like, it's as if Jesus stands up and says, peace, be still, and it's over, and we have some peace. We have a, a, a storm-free period. We have a time when there's not a trial right now. But then for some of us, there are trials that come, there are storms that come, and they never end. They just keep blowing. The wind never dies down. The sun never comes out, and yet we can know that Jesus will still get us safely to the other side. He will still get us home. And there in his presence, when we see him face to face, hear me, there'll never be another storm again. If your storms don't end in this life, they will end eternally when we see him. Revelation 21, as we begin to wrap this thing up, Revelation 21, verse 4, as it talks about Jesus and, 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 and when we see him on that day, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The storms will be done. The fiery trials will never burn again. And as Revelation 22 verses 4 and 5 say, they, speaking of you and I as believers, as his children, they will see his face. And, all, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. There will be a day when the storms of this life will end, and I don't know if there's any more beautiful words in the Bible, they will see his face. You talk about peace. You talk about calm. You talk about joy and deep satisfaction. Pleasure like we've never known when we look into the eyes of Jesus. And the Lord God will be their light and we will reign with him forever. To find peace in the storms of life, we must fix the eyes of our heart on Jesus. We must remember who Jesus is. He is God incarnate, the Savior of the world. We must remember what Jesus has done for us. He lived and died and rose again to save us and make us eternally sons and daughters of the living God, and he's got it done. We must remember where Jesus is in our storm. He is right here with us. Child of God today, he lives in you. And finally, we must remember where Jesus is taking us. He will get us home. Now, the way there is filled with storms, just like the one you're in today. It's filled with fiery trials, but 
Jesus is, has committed himself to you. Jesus cannot lie to you. He will get you home. He'll get you there. And once we land on that shore, once we land in that place, the immediate presence of Jesus, they'll never blow a wind again. There'll never be a storm again. The waters will never rock our boat again. And so let me ask you today, are you experiencing peace in your storm? Peace doesn't mean you're happy-go-lucky, you're smiling all the time, you're having fun. Peace means you know that you're going to make it through the storm because you know who's in your boat. You know what he's done for you. You know who he is and you know where he's taking you. Are your eyes fixed on Jesus? See, that's the key. Are you daily in this book? This is what I can tell you. If you do not spend time in the Word of God on a regular basis, I'm not, going, I'm not trying to be legalistic, so I'm not going to say on a daily basis. I'm telling you, a daily basis is a good idea because it's just like eating. You need this book. But if you're not in the Word of God on a regular basis, listen to me. I can, I can, I can, just, I can predict. I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. But here's what I can tell you. You're not, your eyes aren't fixed on Jesus. Your heart's not set on Christ if you were not in this book regularly. Because it is the Word of God that renews our minds. And if we are not renewing our mind with the truth of God from the Word of God, hear me, our default doesn't go to the truth of God. Our default goes to sin. Our default goes to worry and anxiety and fear. You see, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. And that's where we go. Except we renew our minds with the Word of God. How do you find peace in the storms of life? To find peace in the storms of life, we must fix the eyes of our hearts on Jesus. Will you do it today? You know, maybe you're here and, and, and gathered with us over this live stream today, and you've heard this message. You've heard the gospel presented maybe for the first time that you've clearly understood what Jesus has done for you. If that's true for you today, then let me just encourage you, run to Jesus. Cry out to him. Even as we pray together in just a moment, ask him to come into your life and save you. Ask him to forgive your sins and, and give you the righteousness of Christ as your own. Take what he's, he's said in scripture, he gives that gift of salvation. Take it from him, just like a little child takes a Christmas present. Put your personal faith in him this morning and trust him that you can be a child of God. You can have Jesus in your boat with you no matter what storms come in life. That you can have the certainty you are on your way to another shore. You are on your way to the very presence of the living God in eternity. Let's pray together.